in some respects, we handicap our kids because we put our fears on them with the simple goal of just keeping them safe so that they can be happy and that they can have fun. But it's a luxury for children to grow up to not worry about those things. And our kids don't have that luxury. What would you do all over again and why? I'm Natalie Carpenter, women's health and fertility advocate, dot connector, and former corporate brand warrior. Each week, join me in candid conversation with an inspiring public figure who boldly shares their real-life stories of adversity, impact, and what they did next, and if they would do it all over again, knowing what they know now. Welcome to the All Over Again podcast. Author and memoirist, Nefertiti Austin writes about the erasure of diverse voices in motherhood in the critically acclaimed Motherhood So White, a memoir of race, gender, and parenting in America. Her work around this topic has appeared in the New York Times, Washington Post, She Knows, Mother, Romper, and many more publications. Nefertiti has appeared on numerous shows and podcasts, as well as radio programs, including The Today Show, 1A with Joshua Johnson, and NPR. Nefertiti is the proud adoptive mother of two children and lives in Los Angeles, California. And she shared that she would do it all over again. Hello, Nefertiti. Welcome. It's so nice to see you again. Good to see you too. It's been a minute. It has been a minute. So today we are going to talk about all of the things. Everything from motherhood, mental health, adoption, being a single parent, racism, and raising children of color in the United States. Okay, so I have a lot to cover off with you, and I'm very excited about our conversation. So what would you do or not do all over again and why? I would definitely adopt all over again. It was a good choice for me. I think that people who adopt are called to do so. And I feel the same way now as I did when I signed up to adopt. I think the only thing I would do differently is I really was focused on a little boy, which of course I got, he's a big boy now, and then unexpectedly adopted a little girl. So I think I might've been a little bit more open to adopting a little girl than I was at the time. Awesome. And I have more questions for you in regards to adoption. And and speaking of which, you've shared that when you decided to pursue motherhood through adoption for both of your children, that you didn't really feel seen because American society really sees motherhood through a white lens. Was there a moment or series of moments that sparked this realization? I kind of came into the fullness of that knowledge before I adopted. I was going through the process and I was reading up on parenting and, you know, there's so many different ways to make a family. And I just thought surely I would see a single black woman who had adopted not out of fertility issues, not because she couldn't find a man, you know, none of those issues, but as just a sincere desire to help. And I did not find my story anywhere. There were anecdotes here. I think the most popular parenting movie that even featured a Black mother was Raising Isaiah. No, Losing Isaiah. That's the name of that movie. And the Black mother was painted as subpar compared to the white savior mom who had more means and she had more education. And so on the surface, of course, it's like, well, of course, that child would be better off with a person who has more 
but it was still sort of a commentary on Black motherhood. So it just seems that that's a repetitive theme. By the time my daughter came around, there were definitely more books that were out about Black women who adopt or just just parenting in general. Uh, Instagram has like a ton of information now that wasn't necessarily the case a decade ago and even before. So that was a long answer to your short question. So essentially, just kind of at the beginning of my parenting journey, I did not see myself on the page. So you also decided to be the face of that person, of you, to show what motherhood can look like from the vantage point that you weren't seeing through your book. Yeah. Uh, You know, necessity is the mother of invention. So I ended up creating what I didn't have. And I'm sure you've heard from so many women that they, as a result, feel seen because of the book that you wrote and how you're showing up. Definitely. Uh, Lots of wonderful notes from Black women, Black mothers, and also notes from white women and women in other countries who just really love the fact that I talked about it. Just a different, it's a different way to achieve motherhood and that I'm, I guess, wrote against sort of the norm of how we're raised, that it's two parents and they get married and they do it this way. Like there's multiple ways to make a family. So that's been really gratifying that my book has resonated with people. Well, single parenting is absolutely an option to motherhood. And so is adoption. It's such a beautiful option to motherhood, right? And I think there are people who think, first of all, they think it's easy. What would you say to the people who think that adoption is easy? I would say that they haven't done their homework. I mean, the process is the process and it really is a marathon and it can be stressful. It requires people to be very organized. And most importantly, just you have to keep your eye on the prize. So if you want to adopt, then you jump through the hoops that are required for you to make that happen. Just as you would applying to college or trying to get a car, buy a house or whatever the case, you know, you would you would follow through because it's something that you desire, it's something that you want, but it does require people to do their homework. It's not you just say, oh, I want to do this and kids are dropped off and you go on with your life. That's not how it works. Definitely not. From what I've heard, it's, it's a rigorous process and you do have to do your homework, but it's incredibly rewarding if that's the path, right? And that's so beautiful. And I love that you did that for both of your children. What was the perception of adoption in your community and in particular in the in the black community? We mostly adopt internally. We definitely look inward first. And I'm a product of that. I, I like to say I'm a product of a black adoption. I, my brother and I were raised by grandparents. And so essentially what that means is that there were no courts involved, no social workers, none of that. It was just a family decision who was best able, had the time, the money to raise another family. And so we are always looking like, are there grandkids or nieces or cousins? And even within the community, you know, maybe a neighbor, a lot of people find their families in church and it'll be a church member will say, oh, so-and-so's daughter or so-and-so's son they need help. And how can we as a community support our own? And so we start internally. At the time, there were no kids that needed a home in my family, which is a good thing. Everyone was accounted for. 
And so because I wanted to adopt them and I had to go outside my family, I had to go outside of my immediate community to do so. And we have thoughts about that. And when I disclosed that I was adopting or that I had adopted, black people always ask, well, who are their people? Do you know them? Because the assumption is you have to know these children or at least know where they come from. And so when I disclosed, no, I I don't know them. I went through the foster care system. It was kind of like, hmm. And there's a lot of fear around uh, children in the foster care system because there's an unknown of who their people are and where they come from, which is interesting to me that we hold those particular ideas. But that's who we are and we're working on it. There are lots of black people who do adopt. That's the other thing I've learned along the way. So many folks have reached out to say, oh, we created our family through adoption or we're thinking about adoption. And so thank you for sharing. So that was good because they can feel very lonely when others, they've created their families, I guess, a more traditional way. Maybe they got married or made a choice to be a single parent and to have a child. It's incredible. It's incredible when you think about the stories and, and how families expand insofar as adoption is concerned, right? And, and we're talking about how the Black community really, for the most part, it sounds like really wants and feels most comfortable adopting within the community. And it sounds like people are sort of expanding outside of that a lot because people are speaking out and using their voice sounds like you are about it doesn't need to be so insular. So what would you share with a family that is looking for expanding their family, what's some words of wisdom for them or the single mom or the single dad that is looking to adopt? You know, the foster care system is huge. I mean, all nationally, it's like 447,000 thousand children in foster care. I mean, that's crazy. And I live in Los Angeles and in LA County, I think like 150,000 children. That's a lot of children who need homes. And if someone has a desire and they're open to however the children come to them, I definitely would advocate adopting, looking to the public foster care system, or even there are ways to go the private route. But whatever we can do to provide a permanent, stable, loving home for children, that's my advice. And it's not to be taken lightly. You can't return the kids. You know, things happen, but... You really go into it knowing this is a forever decision and the kids definitely, it it just makes society better as a whole and adoption is really for the adults and the kids obviously benefit because they have a home and love and all of these things. But for those of us who have a need to share, or I, I think of it also as an aspect of community service, it's like my give to the universe. This is what I did over the course of my life for someone else. And that was very important to me. So again, I just think people should be very thoughtful and really give the foster care system a second look or maybe even a third look. Ask some people. You can go and get information off the internet and go to introduction so you get information and you can make an informed decision for sure. And it sounds like in your experience, you're really paying it forward. Trying to. Trying to. I think you already are. I mean, just from an outsider's perspective, I think you're winning. I think it's amazing. I listened to Clint Smith's TEDx talk 
about how to raise a black child in America, specifically a black son in America. Clint shared that he he was parented differently than his white friends. Specifically, he said he was told to keep his hands where people can see them, don't move too quickly, to take your hoodie off at night. Basically, he was given an armor of advice, an ocean of alarm bells, he said, because his parents wanted to keep him alive. That was really hard to read and digest for me. It's really hard that that is still our reality, and no child should be robbed of their right to a, a childhood, right? Like I, the, the things he was sharing seemed so hard to wrap my head around because— you know, we have these liberties of being able to, you know, play outside at night in what we think are seemingly safe neighborhoods or seemingly safe environments. What do you wish others understood about raising a Black son in America today? It's really scary, and it shouldn't be. It's hard on parents. It's hard on those of us who are raising Black boys and Black girls in America. And just to turn on the news at any given day, some someone's son has been murdered by the police or by an older gentleman in the house because a 14-year-old knocked on the wrong door and this child, you know, is shot. And thankfully, um, he lived. But it's really, really hard And yet we have to let them go. We have to let them explore. We have to let them know that the world is their oyster and that they can be who they want to be and what they want to be when they grow up. And it just, there just aren't any guarantees. So it's hard to balance. I think as black parents, it's a balancing act for us always between, oh yeah, definitely go have fun with your friends And before you leave the house or before you get out of the car, let me remind you, if you are stopped by the police, yes, sir, no, sir, stay on the sidewalk. Absolutely drop your hoodie when you are out. Make eye contact. If you have a situation, you know, call me. Let me handle it. Don't you try to handle a situation on your own. And in some respects, we handicap our kids because we put our fears on them with the simple goal of just keeping them safe so that they can be happy and that they can have fun. But it's a luxury for children to grow up to not worry about those things. And our kids don't have that luxury. It sounds like there's not really a choice for you. You want to keep your kids alive because you want to believe that most people are good and most people are sane and most people don't have this mental, quite frankly, handicap of being crazy. There's already so much anxiety as a parent and just layering this on just seems so hard. I mean, from a mental health perspective, how do you take care of yourself? How do you handle the, the, the thoughts and the things that are going through your head every day? Well, it's not something we necessarily talk about every single day. It's, it's in the water. It's in the air for us. I mean, it's just a known entity for parents and for children. So it's not like we're dropping these bombs on the kids at 14. They've heard these stories early on, you know, Kindergarten, especially if they are in white environments, if it's private school or if they're on a sports team, if they, you know, play maybe a non-traditional sport or something like that. Again, it's a balancing act. So it isn't every single moment. Everything is race, 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 race. And people hate you and people are trying to kill you. I mean, that's definitely not the case because then we'd all be nuts and we wouldn't leave the home at our homes at all. It's just, again, 
planting those seeds, letting them know, and really checking in with them to see how they are feeling. And then as far as parents go, that's why we have each other. We talk to each other. So there's conversations that we can have or we can talk each other down, talk each other off the ledge. Or even sometimes it's not even words. Sometimes it's just it's a shake of the head and a shrug of the shoulders. And that that communicates so much of what we're feeling and what we're experiencing. And so I like to laugh and I look for funny things to watch. And I love to listen to music and exercise. Definitely something that I enjoy just to diffuse the situation, kind of create my own barrier between the things that are happening like outside of the house and just really try to keep our our home, our space. Like wherever we go, I tell the kids we are family, wherever we go, wherever we are. So this is our sanctuary, wherever we are. That's beautiful. And it sounds like community is very much an important aspect as well. Absolutely. Got to have people who are open to your experience, willing to just listen to what it is, and definitely folks who have lived through it who can say, oh, yeah, this happened and this is how you handle that situation. Or, you know, let me give you a little advice going forward. That's super helpful. I read in an interview that you wrote Motherhood So White out of necessity for other Black mothers to have other perspectives on motherhood, not just the mainstream sort of definition of who gets to be a mom. Was there a tipping point where you felt compelled to write the book? I didn't start off thinking it was going to be a book. I really just wanted to write a few articles. I'm not a trained journalist, so but I had so much to say that I looked up and initially thought, oh, I've got a collection of essays that are going to tackle aspects of adoption. So again, I never consciously set out to write a book about motherhood. It was just writing about my experiences. And I guess that's sort of, um, it's, it's cathartic for me, obviously, to write. And it was really, I think, between my agent and editor who reframed what I had written to say, this book is actually about your experience as a mother going through the adoption process and being a Black mother in America. So I had bits and pieces of it, but I hadn't put it all together necessarily until later. I was not interested in being personal. I mean, gratefully, there was a lot of stuff that didn't make it in the book. I wouldn't have even shared what's in there. So (laughs) again, my editor was like, we have to know who you are. But I'm like, why? I'm just telling you some things that have happened. Ultimately, it was a very organic process. I'm certainly proud of the end result. But I, like I said, I didn't, I didn't set out to do that. Well, I'm so glad you did. Your book is amazing. Anybody that's listening, please check out Nefertiti's book, Motherhood So White. It's awesome. Are there any tools or resources that you would recommend to a parent that is looking to talk to their children about racism? There's so much out now, especially with the twin pandemics, you know, COVID and then the racial uprising and awakening that we had a couple years ago. And I mean, Professor Kendi, he has a couple of books out, The Anti-Racist, and I think Goldie Muhammad has some things, and Egeoma. I can't think of her last name. There's a ton of books that are available to anyone who's interested. There's also lots of information on the internet. 
there's really no excuse for people not to know what to say or how to say or get conversations going. Also, with the popularity of DEIJ, you know, justice and belonging, things of that nature, I know there's a huge force in this country that's pushing back on critical race theory because they don't understand it. But if they understood it, then they would know that it's a good thing because it's just it's just information that is available, that has been available, and we need more of it to be available. For children, there's definitely books, kids' books, that are that parents can read to their little ones. And as kids get older, they can read on their own. I think if a person is not Black, they should certainly do their homework first before talking with um, their children. Because having conversations about racism, it's not just for Black kids. We, are, we already know. It's for other children. It's for Asian kids. It's for white children. It's for LGBTQ kids and adults. So it's really, we're not really talking to each other because we have those conversations. We're talking to everyone else and the information is out there. So that, I think, may answer my next question. So what would you say to the parent who's raising a child of color, particularly in the U.S., and how do parents raise strong, confident children in the wake of everything? People have to be willing to stretch. And I say this a lot. You have to be willing to leave your neighborhood and explore the rest of your city. Or when you travel, go a place maybe you wouldn't necessarily go. So you can learn about a different culture. You can learn about people learning languages, of course, is important. Go to restaurants. That's always a great place to learn about people and their culture because of food speaks volumes about who they are and, you know, why the rice is red in South Carolina. But on the West Coast, we don't necessarily eat red rice. And so there's a whole culture, a whole community around red rice in the Carolinas. And those are easy ways to learn about other people and to get comfortable in diverse spaces and to make other people feel like they belong just as that child or the people may feel outside. A, a lot of times people feel other, you know, white people feel other. Well, I didn't know it was okay. I didn't know that I could ask that question. I didn't know that I could join in here. And the answer is sure, of course you can. And if you want to know what's happening, ask the question. And for kids in school, for those of us with children, they're in school like forever, you know, kindergarten, preschool, 12th grade. That's a really long haul. And it's unbelievable that your kids would go 13 years and not have a friend of color. Like that doesn't make any sense. And so play dates are definitely important to lean into and becoming friends. You don't have to become best friends, but becoming acquaintances with other people, because ultimately I think we have so much in common, especially parents. We have a ton of stuff in common and you can go beyond just the parenting side. You may realize, oh, you know, you play tennis. Oh, I play tennis. You know, maybe we can play at some point or you sail and maybe I don't, but maybe you'll take me out on your boat and I can learn something about it. Or, you know, you're an artist, go to the museum. So there's all sorts of ways I think we can come together. It requires effort. So in answer to your question, the answer is effort. It's making an effort. It's teaching all the kids that we have so much in common and to celebrate our differences because that's just as important 
not be intimidated by it, not make the other person's, you know, not diminish someone else's customs, but just to respect them and to find out more about what those are. Kids are great like that until they're not, you know, then something changes somewhere along the way. But typically the kids do better than the adults do. And something that we all have in common in the parenthood sphere is that we're all raising children and they are amazing, but can be absolutely infuriating. So from a very, very basic level, motherhood is a bonding mechanism because it is so hard. I know everybody wants to add the caveat, of course, it's so rewarding, but it is the hardest job at least that I've ever had. I wholeheartedly agree. It's hard and it's time consuming. I was thinking the last week or so, I've been thinking about that a lot. So as a writer, you know, I write, I write a lot, but like in terms of pitching, like a freelance journalist at this point, we're pitching articles and this, that, and the other. And so some months it's crazy. I was so crazy busy January through March and now it's crickets. It's like absolutely nothing's going on. But when I Think about like just where the kids and I were just emotionally in January. And then here we are in May. My kids really needed me in a way I didn't expect the last few months. And you think as they're getting older, they need you less. And that's not true because they have different experiences and they're going through different things and they really, really need you. So it's been an interesting thing. I think we're more bonded now than we've been in some time because you know, there are aspects of parenting that's definitely, it, it's very routine. You go to school, you get home from school, you go to ballet, you come up, you know, whatever your extracurriculars are. And then there are other times when it's like, oh, didn't see that coming. And okay, I'm resetting and working through this. And it is rewarding, but it's taxing and it's exhausting. And there's not enough caffeine in the world. There's not enough wine in the world. And there's not enough money in the world to do this job. Yes, to all of that. (laughs) Also, it's like the amount of effort that is required when you're really busy actually ups. Yes. Because because you have to, you, you really have to dig in and make the connections because you don't have the time. And sounds like you work that to your advantage somehow. I don't know how you do it all. Also, I'm grateful it's crickets right now because that means that you you squeezed me into your schedule. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. I know how this goes. It's quiet, quiet, quiet. And then it'll be everything at once. So I'm not complaining. I just make that very clear to the universe. I'm not complaining. Well, good universe. Listen to Nefertiti. <laughs> Give her a little bit of a break. Yes. But it sounds like you, you've got a, a great recipe in terms of parenting in the busy times. That's a really great reminder. If you could wave a magic wand and have your voice be heard by all of the single moms out there, what would you say? I would say you are not alone and you will be okay. That's what I would say. I know it doesn't feel like it at times, but you're going to make it. You'll get to the other side. It will be fine. And it's okay to complain about the kids. (laughs) And find friends like Nefertiti and find a community. Community. Gotta have community. No one can do it on their own. Really, you have to have a sounding board. So like my friends who don't have kids, I'm sure they're sick of me talking about my kids and I will stop and I will lean into. So what have you been up to? 
I don't want to talk about me. I want to know about you. Tell me all about your life and what you're doing. And so that's fun because I get a break from myself and it's great. And then I've got my friends with kids, older kids, younger kids, and we can laugh about the kids together and support each other. And, you know, there's a whole other world outside of the children, things that we talk about, things that we do. But community is essential, especially for single parents. It's a mistake to think that you can do it on your own. I think those are words of wisdom for absolutely every single person in the universe, (laughs) whatever their life is, right? Yes. Finding community. You don't have to do it on your own. I think that is so central and that is beautiful words of wisdom. Thank you. Thank you. We talked a little bit about mental health. How do you support your mental health? And do you have any tips for other mamas out there? It's important to think about yourself. I struggle with that. I'm always, okay, well, what does she need? Okay, well, what does he need? And I do have to fight sometimes to say, well, what do I need? So putting yourself first at times is essential. That's definitely important. And so things that I do, as I mentioned, I walk the dogs because no one else will do it. So that's good though. It feels good for me to do that. And I listen to ratchet rap music. Makes me feel very happy to listen to just the words that I won't say in front of the children, but it feels good because I enjoy music. Anytime I can get together with friends, which isn't often, definitely not often enough, try to make time for those relationships as well because the kids are going to grow up and leave. And if you haven't nurtured your friendships, then that's going to be a problem later. I don't want to be left behind because I was just so into my kids that I missed out on growing my friendships with my friends. So I I look for opportunities just to deepen my friendship. Sometimes we're scheduling three, four months out. Okay. Okay. You know, it's May. What are you doing in July? Okay, well, let's do this. And, And making sure it happens gives me something to look forward to. And in this quiet time, I have read, I read a wonderful book a couple of weeks ago and I used to read voraciously and I still do but I'm reading more articles so it's it's a lot shorter but reading books that just really fills my bucket to read fiction I enjoy it a lot I was just about to ask you what's lighting you up right now and it sounds like you beat me to the punch on that question yeah definitely it it was it felt good just to kind of sit and read and not think about anything other than the page you know in front of me and I've learned to listen to like audiobooks I've been kind of late to audiobooks, and those are interesting, too. I love audiobooks. That's one of my favorite guilty pleasures. It's not even guilty. I'll go on a walk, and I'll listen to my audiobook, and I'm multitasking in my own way, but I'm experiencing it all and moving, and I'm a huge fan of audiobooks. That's good Good technology there. That's how I read your book on audiobook. Oh, good. Good, good. Yeah. Nefertiti, thank you so much for joining me today and for talking about all things motherhood. Thanks for having me. Always, always, always. I am so grateful that you were here, able to make the time that I caught you on your downtime. (laughs) And how can our listeners find you? I am so easy to be found. I'm on Twitter at Nefertiti Austin and Instagram at I am Nefertiti Austin. I have a website which is www.nefertitiaustin.com. And if you DM me or send me a note, 
I will respond. Nefertiti's very responsive, and she has an amazing book called Motherhood So White, so please check it out, and all of the details are in the show notes. Thanks, everyone, for joining us today. Thank you for listening to this episode of the All Over Again podcast. I hope that you learned something from today's episode. If you enjoyed this, please leave a five-star review about All Over Again on Apple Podcasts. Please also let me know what spoke to you about the episode on our social media channels at All Over Again Podcast. I can't wait to hear from you.